You're listening to The Gateway Church. For more information, please go online to thegatewaychurch.com. Good morning. I'm Tom. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I get to share from God's Word with you this morning. A big week in our life. Uh, a new grandchild was added Monday morning, bright and early. Barrett Joseph. So first grandson on my wife's side of the family and second on my side of the family. And I am over the moon. So uh, if you uh, don't hang around with me at the barbecue, you're going to be forced to look at baby pictures. In fact, here's one. Um, yeah, he's, a, he's a handsome buck, isn't he? he uh, yeah, there he is. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, that comes with being a, a grandfather. And uh, uh, already talked about prearranged marriages with little ones around here already. So, <laughs> so you know, pr- societies that practice that have the lowest divorce rates. So there's always a, yeah. All right. Well, we're the fourth week into this series on the Psalms of Ascent, which. Uh, really, that's the English construct. In the original language, it would be songs, plural, of a sense, plural. It was about, and many, many different theories about where did they come from, but uh, we, we embrace the tradition that was widely practiced uh, by the Jews in Palestine for many years, and, and even now in some ways. The three times of the year that the Hebrews would go on pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, and topographically, it sat at the, top, at the height. It was the highest city. So the journey was an ascent the three times of year to, uh, to, to worship the Lord there. It didn't mean you didn't go to church but three times a year, but it was really symbolic of what their historic faith was all built around. And in each one of these psalms serves as a really solid framework of a basic understanding of what uh, life in Christ is, of what a, a, a Godward lived life of what discipleship is all about in Psalm, and they're the 15 Psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, and they would chant these on their journey. And uh, when we started this series, Psalm 120, it was the very fundamental basics of turning and facing God, of repenting from the falsehoods of this world and our past and sins and all of that, and and now facing. God, turn and facing and beginning to journey uh, towards uh, God. Psalm 121 was to remember God's ways and to keep on going. Don't be tricked out by the traditional things that, that the world has to offer, but to journey towards him. And then last week uh, really reflects a, a proverb I learned working amongst the Maasai in Kenya and Tanzania, and that was, if you want to run fast, and they're sort of, the, 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 you know, genetically, globally, the, the record holders of the marathons all come from that sort of East African, North and East African part of the world. And the Maasai have a, 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 a proverb, if you want to run fast, run alone. But if you want to run far, run together. And that really is encapsulated last week in Psalm 122, that we're to walk together. And in essence, it talked about, uh, you know, interpreted into our culture is yes, uh, go to church, journey together, especially when you don't feel like it, especially when you feel like going it alone. We need each other. And now we lean into Psalm 123. So repent, turn towards God, forsake the ways of the world, keep going, and go there with others. And now, looking to God, the first two verses 
that we just heard Kate read. To you I lift up my eyes. O Lord, you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look at the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant looks to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Boy, here we find the pilgrim in the journey really having to dig down deep and summon up what it takes to make this uphill climb. It's a confession of, I I can't do this alone. And my eyes are not on the hills, as we talked about in Psalm 121, but upon the one who made the hills, high and lift up God Almighty, not looking over at him as if to suggest God was your buddy or your peer or your consultant or my homeboy, Jesus, and not looking down that he's not my butler or my gopher or my step-and-fetch errand boy, rather looking up, the traditional posture of submission, of being fully submitted to you. I can't make this journey on my own. I have to depend on on you. I know it's tempting to look up to the hills of self-gratification and self-help, of old habits and old ways, but no, I'm not just glancing up to you, I'm looking to you for everything. I'm sold out, I'm just like a servant waiting on his or her master or her mistress. And this is such an obvious departure from our rugged individualism that dominates our culture, which is worshiped by our society, and even further away from the mass media groupthink of our age. It reveals really the posture of the heart of all who journey towards God. Journey, pilgrimage, walk, hike, trek. Upward, over the twisting, turning pathways of life, filled with long, hot stretches of dry, dusty valleys, hunger and thirst and steep, hard, seemingly impassable climbs, and of gorgeous panoramic peaks, joyful, cool passes, as well as wet, cold, fireless nights, and always the possibility of robbers and interlopers and wild animals. Now, while you and I drive far more than we walk, these literal challenges are less and less a part of our day-to-day existence, except when we choose them and you know, go on a backpacking trip somewhere. That's where you know, middle-class people choose to live like hobos yeah. for recreation. But I'm guilty, I enjoy that very much. Uh, they, they, they do nonetheless represent all too often the realities of life. And any seasoned hiker will tell you the trail respects 
no one. The mountaintops, the scenic overlooks, the lush valleys, you know, those are sort of easy to take, right? The cool streams, the warm campfires, the great times. There are some of those in our life. But really, how do we, how do we face the challenges of the trail together? with their physical, emotional, economic, relational, and social challenges and setbacks that accompany most of us on this journey called life. Despite the fact that the journey is lived with upward, uh, utmost sincere intention of a Godward direction, the trail still involves Sickness and pain, disease, brokenness, grief, loss, fear, anxiety, remorse, betrayal, shame, disappointment, turmoil, turmoil, injustice, conflict, rejection, regret, abuse, loss, grief, failure. And the trail is especially cruel at exposing our issues. The grind of the journey will expose the stuff from our past. Now as we grow older, some wounds scar over and fade away. But others, some of which can go back many, many, many years, even to our childhood, an absent, neglectful, abusive parent theft of what was rightfully yours, a sibling who was treated you badly or a bully who was especially cruel or an injustice, a physical, emotional, or sexual trauma can, can leap to the forefront exposed by the grind of the trail because it has a way of surfacing our junk. So how do we deal with them? The psalm instructs us first by lifting our eyes up to heaven, not by fixing your eyes on the injustice, the unfairness, the disappointment, or the pain. Now, I'm not talking about just ignoring them, but what has the focus. And by practicing radical submission to God and His ways. What this really is about is our posture, the posture of our heart on the journey. In this looking up to God, we don't find, we don't meet the eyes of a dictator, but a father. A father of justice and mercy, compassion and grace, who looks tenderly at his children. Maybe there's a job you feel you were better qualified for. Some opportunity that should have been yours but was denied. Some injustice just in the workplace or at school. Look to God about it. Look with eyes filled with hope and look like a servant. You want to be great? Become the servant of all. Eager to please the interesting thing about this word, servant, that it's drawn from, service, 
are they dim or are they dim? It's translated equally throughout the Old Testament as slave, servant, official, advisor, and minister. It's the same Hebrew root which informs the Greek, liturgos, meaning public works, work of the people from the Latin, through the Latin to the English, which we arrive at the word liturgy. Liturgy, a fixed component of our gathering of worship, as it would be in the context and the use of that word in, in our day-to-day lives. Liturgy, that sameness. Liturgy, those, those inflexible foundational points when we gather to worship that many times can feel like a drudgery. But far from drudgery, far from merely familiar, the disciplined, the firm, comes the shaping and forming the posture we need in this journey as individuals and as a family as we look to God and cry out for mercy. When the eyes fasten upon God, then the words come easily. Look at verses 3 and 4. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. While this psalm was used for eons in the pilgrimage that we're talking about, it was most likely penned at the time of Nehemiah, when Jerusalem lay in ruins and it was under occupation at that time by the Persians who had taken it from the Babylonians and now it was martial law in an occupied land that the the administration, it was too far flung to be effectively administered by their own so they let the Babylonian captives go back to Jerusalem and live there so they would farm the ground and work it and that kind of stuff and pay revenues and taxes back to the king. But in many ways, it was now sort of the Wild West, loosely administered and basically ruled by thuggery, violence, and hostility. It was a place where God's people, when when they wanted to rebuild the laws and make the walls and the gates and make it more secure for the inhabitants, uh, they... They, 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 they prayed, but what they chose not to do was retaliate to the oppressors, but they just kept on building and kept on praying, and sometimes they had to build with a brick in one hand and a sword in another. Is that really that far of a metaphor away from how your life at time feels? Man, I'm doing my doggone very best, and I feel like I, I, I'm, I'm working with one hand, and I'm defending everything I hold dear with another. And at the bottom of that feeling, isn't it just a matter of fact that most prayer feels delayed in its answer? Here we are back at the hang-up 
that God is too slow for most people. Am I the only one? Martin Luther helps us here when there seems to be a delay for mercy. Like, we're set free. We should be able to go back to our city and be able to worship the Lord. But no, it's all of this, and now we have to build and fight at the same time. Here's what Martin Luther says. When he defers his help, he does it not because he will not hear us, but to exercise and stir up our faith and to teach us that the ways whereby he can and does deliver us are so manifold and so miraculous that we are never able to conceive them. Therefore, let us think that the thing, let us think that the thing which we ask is not denied, but deferred, and assure ourselves that we are not neglected because of this delay. In this long march of life, the heat, fatigue, you and I can end up saying and do things we don't really mean. We cry out of frustration and peg, and the pilgrim knows it here. So she or he is asking for the mercy, the grace to face down her or his own flesh and its weaknesses and to flip the narrative from bondage to loving submission. It can be oh so tempting to fold up and not even bother amongst the hardships of life, to look to God, because our needs can get swallowed up a couple of different ways. It can be swallowed up when they're compared to the massive issues of injustice in our world, of contempt and scorn, as the psalmist put it, of repression in today's world and what leads the headlines in Syria, Venezuela, or China, and among the millions enslaved or starving. You can feel like their pain is just too big and mine doesn't matter, or you can feel that your pain is so big you can't see past it. But no prayer is too small when it's directed to God. Your personal relationship with Jesus Christ at a time of difficulty is the opportunity to be transformed by him into what Gandhi called the change you wish to see in the world. Because hang on, here's some hard medicine. How you face the hardships of life is the loudest and clearest declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you could ever possibly make. And if you think you're too small to make a difference, just try spending a night in a tent with a mosquito. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And this is a mosquito prayer. The persistent buzzing around, making its way to God, crying out over and over and over again for mercy. And in so doing, the psalmist, perhaps in the context of Nehemiah, 
He has stopped from trying to take revenge and so appear petty and pathetic and to be exposed as far less powerful than they wanted to be seen in the eyes of their adversaries. Instead, she or he goes to God who is far more powerful than even our human pride. Because you see, it's easy to pray for mercy for ourselves. It's probably easiest to pray for the mercy of other people who are being oppressed by someone else, but it's very, very difficult to pray for the mercy, for mercy for your oppressors, for your boss, for that roommate, for that coworker, for that parent, for that person who did that thing. Because we are oh so prone to take justice into our own hands. And when we do, we can end up doing the very right things for the very wrong reasons, which T.S. Eliot called the last temptation and the greatest heresy. It's no small thing to plead for mercy and to practice it as well, to embody the change we wish to make in our world where we are right now, in the context where you live, work, play, worship. <clears throat> in the attempted revolution that hit the airwaves by way of television from Tiananmen Square in China, a dozen or so years ago. There was an image that was burnt into our collective retina of a lone, unknown man standing in front of a tank, armed, engine running, moving, shifting as it shifted, immovable, undaunted, resolute, and symbolic. In the end, the merciful thing to do was really for that lone, unknown man to show the driver of that tank the implications of his actions, that for you to go forward, you will have to take my life, no weapons, no power play, in the end, a demonstration of mercy. You can't stop what you're doing. And the tank driver did. Pretty soon some people came and grabbed the man away from in front of the tank as, as their resolution wasn't nearly as set as his. But it's his kind of courage that is required to embody the mercy of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the solution to every problem of our world without the naivete that ignores repressive structural evils. I get that. But it's we who plead for our own mercy must also plead for the mercy for others. Because what we need more than anything in this journey is the mercy of God.
but mercy for his captors, mercy for his oppressors, mercy for a tank driver, mercy for himself, that he not give in to the sweet deceit of bitterness, revenge, and rage. In the end, justice and our attempts to achieve it are always flawed because we're sinners bargaining with sinners caught in a mesh of depravity and what we need is mercy and justice on God's level. Mercy. Immediately and eternally that the suffering we wish to alleviate in our life and others is not only the suffering in this world, but an even greater suffering in the world to come. Look, you and I obviously do have rights, and we are granted those rights because we're made in the image of God, and we have responsibilities given by being redeemed by the Son of God, the duties that are the reverse side of that coin of rights. If it were not for the scandalous mercy of God in Jesus Christ, you and I and no one else would have any hope. Therefore, the example of this pilgrim in this psalm to turn to God for mercy as automatically as breathing. She or he knows their very being on the journey, much less being alive, even standing in front of the tank of life, is the direct result of the mercy of God. And so we plead for it, and we generously give it, and we rely upon it every step of the trail. 22 years ago, the movie Titanic swept up 11 Oscars and went on to make more box office receipts, box office seats in excess of two million, two billion dollars. Isn't that amazing? We all knew how it was going to end. You all knew what was going to happen, and still, there we were. But do you remember the scene when people are clambering and clawing and crawling over each other to get into the lifeboats? What James Cameron failed to include in the script was any scene from the historical fact, and probably because he believed no one would believe it, if they saw it, that most of all of the men let the women go first and the children. Of the Salvation Army officer giving his life jacket to a stranger. As the band did play, and it wasn't merely the string quartet from the, the formal dining room, it was the Salvation Army small brass band as well. Well, they played on 
And the men simply stood and watched and gave themselves to drown that others might be saved by their supremely merciful sacrifice. But look, I know. Today or tomorrow, most likely, you aren't going to be trekking towards Jerusalem. You're probably not going to be trying to rebuild walls and gates, city under military occupation. You're probably not going to face down a tank in a city square or stand aboard deck of a sinking ship. But life sure can feel like it. Because fueled by the scorn the psalmist refers to, of those who are at ease, the contempt of the proud, the voice of conspicuous consumerism, the images of others' phony social media profiles, of popular opinion, voting blocks, targeted advertising, and 24-hour news cycle, of unrelenting bills, of demands of work, of children, of coworkers, of neighbors, patients, parents, health, your own past can feel every bit as daunting as a tank whose gun is aimed at your face. And it's easy to think because it's easy to believe I'll never make it. I'm too weak, I'm too in debt, I don't have the experience, I'm too insignificant, I'm too long, it's too long of a journey, it's too heavy of a burden, it's too intimidating, too complicated, too immovable, too much, too hard. It's been going on for just way too long and just to take one more step on this journey is the biggest miracle I could possibly imagine. What do you do? You look to God and you cry out for mercy again and again. It's the cry of our heart of hearts laid bare in this song pilgrims sing to themselves on the journey to God. And we can do so because we know more of the story than the original author. Because we know that Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of those cries to God. Jesus is God's definitive answer to every cry of the human heart. Jesus is the mercy cried out for, for us and for our enemies. Jesus went, underwent the ultimate disaster, crying out, as he was forsaken by his father on the cross so that we need not ever be forsaken by God at this or anywhere else in the journey. 
His work upon the cross gives us the supreme reason to praise God and to thank him in the midst of anything. He perfectly lived out God's law so that we lawbreakers could be exonerated freely and then changed from the inside out so that we can delight in him no matter what the journey holds. Because of him, the mercy of God is real. And it's real for you, and it's real for me, for whatever it takes to finish the journey. And to not just finish, but to finish Well, thou good and faithful servant. So don't give up. Because Jesus Christ, the ultimate servant, the ultimate mercy is all we need to make the journey, especially when we feel that we can't. When you feel like you can't, go on. Lesson four, Psalm 123. Look to God. Be a servant. Be merciful. Cry out for mercy. And keep on going. This has been another episode of the Gateway Church Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.